1: on the war in Ukraine as Victory Day approaches. activists in the battle space, Raspberry Robin and a USB worm, a carefully operated credential phishing campaign, another ICS security alert from CISA, Dinah Davis from Arctic Wolf on reflection amplification techniques, Carol Terrio examines zero-trust architecture access policies, and happy Mother's Day, but do stay safe online. cyberwire studios at data tribe i'm dave bittner with your cyberwire summary for friday may 6th 2022 monday is russia's victory day holiday and an important informational milestone in the special military operation As such, it would be prudent to expect an 11th-hour surge in Russian cyber and information operations. NSA's Rob Joyce, who heads the agency's Cybersecurity Directorate, expressed reservations about hacktivists taking an active role in warfare, including the present Russian war against Ukraine. Defense News quotes him as saying Wednesday at Vanderbilt University, I will tell you that the idea of the civil vigilantes joining in a nation-state attack is unwise, right? I really think it is. As you pointed out, it's illegal, but it's also unhelpful, because one of the things we talked about is we're trying to get Russia to take account for the ransomware attacks and hacks that come out of Russia and emanate. Security firm Red Canary is following some malicious activity it's calling Raspberry Robin, which distributes a worm that's often installed via USB drive. This activity cluster relies on msiexec.exe to call out to its infrastructure, often compromised qnap devices, using http requests that contain a victim's user and device name. Red Canary also observed Raspberry Robin using Tor exit nodes as additional command and control infrastructure. Who the threat actor is and what their objectives are remain obscure. Red Canary said, To date, we've observed Raspberry Robin in organizations with ties to technology and manufacturing, though it's not yet clear if there are other links among victims. We have several intelligence gaps around this cluster, including the operator's objectives. While we don't yet have the full picture, we want to share what we know about this activity cluster so far— to enrich collective understanding of this threat and empower defenders to identify this activity. Menlo Labs describes a credential phishing campaign that uses malicious HTML attachments in the course of gaining access to corporate networks. The researchers classify the well-automated operation as a highly evasive adaptive threat able to evade many legacy security tools. The lures used are carefully tailored to the targets. Researchers at Menlo Labs say, We believe that the initial HTML attachments are created using a kit to automatically generate these HTML payloads. Menlo Labs researchers spent a significant amount of time looking for the kit, but were ultimately unable to locate it. They're interested in hearing from other researchers who may be able to offer insight. CISA has released an industrial control system security advisory affecting Johnson Control's Metasys. This Sunday is Mother's Day in the U.S. and other jurisdictions where the greeting card company's RIT runs, and Trend Micro offers some timely advice on avoiding being scammed in the course of rendering annual honors to Mater. They flag three scam websites in particular and point out that they bear the usual marks of fraud— Unusual payment methods like wire transfers, an inappropriate curiosity about personal information, misspellings and non-standard usage, no genuine customer reviews, and the infallible, by this shall ye know the scammer, deal that's too good to be true. So stay safe online. Mom would want that for you. Zero trust remains a hot buzzword in cybersecurity, generating great interest from some and eye rolls from others. Our UK correspondent Carol Terrio takes a closer look at zero trust architecture access policies.
2: A zero trust architecture is an approach where inherent trust in a network is utterly removed. So when you design a new system, instead of assuming that the network is a safe hub, you assume that it's hostile. And this makes sense. Just because you're connected to a network, it doesn't mean that you should be able to access everything on that network. You see, it's common in cybersecurity breaches to see an attacker gain a foothold on a network and then move laterally. So, for example, they might be able to get an employee's username and password and use this as a springboard to access sensitive data or vital services. Because everyone and everything already on the network has been marked as trusted with access to the rest of the network. In zero-trust architecture, the network is treated as hostile, so every request for data or service access is continually verified against an access policy. So, what of this access policy? According to the National Cybersecurity Center, or the NCSC, zero-trust by design relies on a few elements. One is strong authentication. So this is unique, hard-to-crack passwords, multi-factor authentication, that sort of thing. And then there's authorization. So once a person has been authenticated, what are they allowed to see and do? A third is device health. So this is looking for unpatched vulnerabilities or seeing if defenses are turned off or not present. And perhaps the most interesting is this fourth one value of the data being accessed. So, if you're looking up the definition of an acronym, this might be considered to be much lower in value than your corporate bank account details. So, how did zero trust architecture even come about, or why are people implementing it? Well, the answer ultimately, says the NCSC, came down to companies choosing Zero Trust out of necessity, often after an attack. So maybe Zero Trust is worth a look, and the NCSC has published guidance on Zero Trust architecture for organizations, and I would agree it's a great place to start if you're unsure whether it's the right option for your company. Plus, all the information is free. So, you know, why not? This was Carol Terrio for the Cyberwire.
1: And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Dinah Davis. She is the VP of R&D operations at Arctic Wolf. Uh, Dinah, it is always great to welcome you back to the show. Uh, I wanted to touch base with you today on this whole notion of reflection amplification attacks, sort of uh, get a little base level understanding of what these are all about. Can you help us out here?
0: Yeah, so um, they're basically two different types of attacks combined together to make a a super attack. Um, (laughs) Not so
1: super if you're on the receiving end of it, right? No, very
0: not super (laughs) if you're on the receiving end of it. So um, basically it's a a technique that's going to allow attackers to both like magnify the amount of malicious traffic they can generate and obscure where it came from. So, and this is most commonly used in uh, a DDoS or like a distributed denial service attack where you're trying to just overwhelm the victim with, with packets. Right. So the reflection attack basically is, the goal of that is to obscure the source of an attack. So what they do is they start sending a whole bunch of packets to a server and they spoof where it's coming from. So they change the IP address of where it's coming from to something else um, so that it doesn't look like it's coming from them. And when we send mail, we put the to address and the return sender address on a piece of mail, right? And we, right. As- we right. assume that you're actually sending it from the return uh, return address, right? Right. Instead, what happens if you wanted to like if I wanted to like just make your house full of mail, I could I could send mail from all different places to a a fake address and have the return address be your house. And all of this bad mail gets returned to your house and you then get flooded with bags of mail of the like Miracle on 64th Street kind of you know visualization there where Santa got all these all this mail right 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 and so it could have come from all over you don't know you don't know where this came from they can't track it the return address says your house so it got sent back to your house this mm-hmm. is what they do with the IP address right so they send a request into a random server okay somewhere anywhere and say, I would like, I would like access to this. And it pings back to the return address that you have put in, there, which is not actually yours, and starts flooding that return address. Okay, so that's a reflection attack. Basically, it's obscuring the ability to see where that came from because the return IP address is, is not the one it's supposed to be. It's the one that you're actually trying to attack, right?
1: Right. Okay. Makes sense.
0: Okay. So then you have an amplification attack, right? So what this is, is trying to either send way more messages than possible or with each message sending huge messages. Okay. So it's trying to amplify how much gets sent to the victim's, you know, uh, address or servers and stuff like that. Right. So, yeah, you're generating a high volume of packets to overwhelm the target site. So how do they do this? Basically, they send requests to those servers using their nice little reflection technique that's going to result in a large number of replies or multiple replies. Um, And this is often called the trigger packet. So we're sending this one and then it's like, wait, what do we do with this? And maybe there's a vulnerability that then, you know, causes it to send 50 messages from that one message like, oh, we have to check these all these things because of this message that just came in. So not Hmm. only are we spoofing it, but we're amplifying the attack by calling sites and and things like that that are going to make it make either the packets really, really, really big or send lots and lots and lots of packets. Um, so attackers go looking for CVEs that can help them generate these amplifications they're looking for. And they combine those two together to create a amplification reflection attack. And the interesting thing that I saw, the reason how I got into checking this out at all, was that in March 2022, attackers were able to leverage a vulnerability tracked as CVE-2022-26143. You know that mm-hmm. one, right? Yeah, it just um, rolls
1: right off the tongue.
0: Yeah, uh, and it was, it was in a driver used by child devices, okay? And so by using that, that CVE, they were able to get an amplification attack where the ratio was about 4.3 billion packets to one.
1: I'm sorry, billion with a B?
0: Yes, billion with a B. Wow. Yeah, so that's what I so I saw that headline and I'm like, wow, this is interesting. Dave, Dave's going to want to know about this, and <laughs> and then I then so I did some research, but um, I found that incredible, incredible. So I, I'd never really thought of looking at vulnerabilities before for just trying to DDOS people, like vulnerabilities that help you flood somebody else's sites, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, interesting stuff for sure. And as you say, I mean, this is primarily. Uh, focused on DDoS attacks. All right, well, Dinah Davis, thanks for joining us. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at TheCyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday in my conversation with Tushar Richabadas from Barracuda. We're going to be discussing their findings detailed in their report, Threat Spotlight, Attacks on Log for Shell Vulnerabilities. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Liz Urban, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sebi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Filecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week.